Good morning and welcome to Inside Redeemer with Jerry Wilbanks. Today is Palm Sunday, April 13, 2014. Our Sunday worship service is being broadcast from inside the Redeemer Lutheran Church located at 5700 Lawndale Street in Houston, Texas. The Reverend Grant Housewright will deliver the Holy Gospel for today and lectors Ben Duran Jr., Danielle Work, and Seth Duran will read today's scripture readings. The music is provided by choir director Nancy Housewright. Our Sunday worship services begin at 10.30 a.m. On our Sunday morning broadcast, we always like to acknowledge our Redeemer family shut-ins and give a big old shout-out to let you all know that we're thinking about you and we have you in our hearts and in our minds. Our love goes out to each and every one of you. Our hellos go out to Mary Margaret Rerick, Rubella Eckerman, Edith Owens, Laura Thack, Marie Piracy, Phyllis Edelman, Marion Cook, and the Reverend William Putnam. We love you all and God bless you all. Welcome. It's Palm Sunday, the beginning of Holy Week. For those of you who have a bulletin, you can see where we begin on page four. And uh, for those of you who do not yet have a bulletin, uh, you can grab one on the way in. I'd like to welcome everyone here today and also let everyone know that uh, following worship today, the Sunday school children are going to be learning a song for Easter morning uh, on the guitar. So after worship, all those Sunday school kids... Let's try to remember to gather those up who have not yet, uh, or maybe not heard this message yet, and they've known it for the past few Sundays. We'll gather for a while and learn a new song for Easter Sunday. I'd like to begin our time together happily and blissfully in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Top of page four. Give thanks to the Lord, for He is good. Open to me the gates of righteousness that I may enter them and give thanks to the Lord. I thank thee that thou hast answered me and hast become my salvation. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for He is good. Bless these branches, O God, as we prepare again to recognize and worship Your Son, our Lord, who gave Himself for us to die and rise for the good of Your kingdom. May our journey be one of trust and faith and courage, held close all the while through Your Holy Spirit. Amen. We'll all process and we'll follow the 
crucifer. The acolytes will be ready and we'll all come in. Please come to the front of the church, of the sanctuary, and lay your branches down.
We find ourselves on the top of page five. The Lord be with you. Let's pray together, please, the prayer of the day. Sovereign God, you have established your rule in the human heart through the servanthood of Jesus Christ. By your spirit, keep us in the joyful procession. (coughs) Jesus as Lord, and with their lives, praise him as Savior who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. You may be seated. The children are excused for Sunday school. We are very grateful for our youth of our congregation to help lead us in worship today. Good morning. Good morning. I'll be reading Isaiah. Chapter 50, verses 4 through 9. The Lord God has given me the tongue of a teacher, that I may know how to sustain the weary with a a word. Morning by morning he wakens, wakens my ear, to listen as those who are taught. The Lord God has opened my ear, and I was not rebellious. I did not turn backward. I gave him back to those who struck me, and my cheeks to those who pulled out the beard. I did not hide my face from insult and spitting. The Lord God helps me, therefore I have not been disgraced. Therefore I have set my face like flint, and I know that I shall not be put to shame. He who vindicates me is near. Who will contend with me? Let us stand up together. Who are my adversaries? Let them confront me. Is it the Lord God who helps me? Who will declare my guilty? Read responsively Psalms 31, verses 9 through 16 on the bottom of page 5. Have mercy on me, O Lord, for I am in trouble. For my life is wasted with grief, and my years with sighing. I have become a reproach to all my enemies, and even to my neighbors, a dismay to those of my acquaintance. I am forgotten like a dead man out of mind. For I have heard the whispering of the crowd, fear is all around. But as for me, I have trusted in you, O Lord. My times are in your hand. Make your face to shine upon your servant. Lord, let me not be ashamed for having called upon you. Let the lying lips be silenced which speak against the righteous. How great is your goodness, O Lord, which you have laid up for those who fear you. (laughs) 
The second reading comes from Philippines chapter 2, verses 5 through 11. Let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be exploited, but emptied himself, taking the form of a slave, being born in human likeness, and being found in human form. He humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God also highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, so that, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bend, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. gospel for this day is written in the gospel according to St. Matthew in the 27th chapter. I know I don't need to invite you to do this because if you are not able to stand for the length of this gospel, you may be seated at any time. Meanwhile, Jesus stood before the governor and the governor asked him, are you the king of the Jews? You have said so, Jesus replied. When he was accused by the chief priests and elders, he gave no answer. And then Pilate asked him, Do you hear the testimony they are bringing against you? But Jesus made no reply, not even, a single, not even to a single charge, to the great amazement of the governor. Now it was the governor's custom at the festival to release a prisoner chosen by the crowd. At that time, they had a well-known prisoner who was Jesus Barabbas. So when the crowd had gathered, Pilate asked them, Which one do you want me to release to you, Jesus Barabbas or Jesus who is called the Messiah? For he knew it was out of self-interest that they had handed Jesus over to him. While Pilate was sitting at the judge's seat, his wife sent him this message, Don't have anything to do with that innocent man, for I have suffered a great deal today in a dream because of him. But the chief priests and the elders persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas and to have Jesus executed. Which of the two do you want me to release to you? Asked the governor. Barabbas, they answered. What shall I do then with Jesus, who is called the Messiah? Pilate asked. They all answered, crucify him. Why? What crime has he committed? Asked Pilate. But they shouted all the louder, crucify him. When Pilate saw that he was getting nowhere, but that instead an uproar was starting, he took water and washed his hands in front of the crowd. 
I am innocent of this man's blood, he said. It is your responsibility. All the people answered, His blood is on us and on our children. Then he released Barabbas to them, but had Jesus flogged and handed him over to be crucified. Then the governor's soldiers took Jesus to the praetorium and gathered the whole company of soldiers around him. They stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him and then twisted together a crown of thorns and set it on his head. They put a staff in his right hand. Then they knelt in front of him and mocked him. Hail, King of the Jews, they said. They spit on him and took the staff and struck him on the head again and again. After they had mocked him, they took off the robe and put his own clothes on him. Then they led him away to crucify him. As they were going out, they met a man from Cyrene named Simon, and they forced him to carry the cross. They came to a place called Golgotha, which means the place of the skull. There they offered Jesus wine to drink, mixed with gall. But after tasting it, he refused to drink it. And when they had crucified him, they divided up his clothes by casting lots. And sitting down, they kept watch over him there. Above his head they placed the written charge against him. This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. Two rebels who were crucified with him, one on his right and one on his left. Those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, You who are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days, save yourself. Come down from the cross if you are the Son of God. In the same way, the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the elders mocked him. He saved others, they said, but he can't save himself. He's the king of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross and we will believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God rescue him now if he wants him. For he said, I am the son of God. In the same way, the rebels who were crucified with him also heaped insults on him. From noon until three in the afternoon, darkness came over all the land. About three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lema sabachthani, which means, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When some of those standing there heard this, they said, He is calling Elijah. Immediately, one of them ran and got a sponge. He filled it with wine vinegar and put it on a staff and offered it to Jesus to drink. The rest said, Now leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes to save him. And when Jesus had cried out in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. At that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook. The rocks split. And the tombs broke open. The bodies of many holy people who had died were raised to life. They came out of the tombs after Jesus' resurrection and went into the holy city and appeared to many people. When the centurion and those with him were guarded, were, who were guarding Jesus saw the earthquake and all that had happened, they were terrified and exclaimed, Surely 
He was the Son of God. The Gospel of the Lord. You may be seated. I'm going to repeat very briefly what was said outside for some who are not here yet. That We want to remember that uh, the uh, young people in Sunday school are going to be learning 
uh, a song to sing to help us praise God on Easter morning. And so please gather for a while following worship and we'll teach that song and, and do a couple of guitar chords along with it. So we'll have some fun doing that. Again, youth, thank you very much, youth, young people, young adults. Thank you very much for helping out today. Uh, in your bulletin, there is an insert regarding the, uh, the services that take place this week. No longer uh, are we holding Wednesday services. Remember Thursday evening and Friday noon, Easter morning breakfast. Uh, Saturday uh, morning is Spurlock Park for the Easter egg hunt and all the events that are taking place. It proved to be a, a wonderful week, if I could use the word uh, wonderful, because it truly is uh, following Jesus on his journey from Passover, uh, from uh, the, the, his journey into Jerusalem, through Passover, his death and resurrection. So it's a high time for us to be um, walking our way toward the great festival of the year. Grace and peace be to you from God and the Lord Jesus Christ, and may the Holy Spirit guide you this week and always to that which is good and pure, following the journey of Christ and his passion. Amen. Well, here we are. We're at the start of Holy Week, and we are fairly familiar with the characters who were involved in his final week of life. And that includes those who were getting him crucified. Pontius Pilate was one of those people, and uh, all the four Gospels agree that he was the Roman authority on deciding Jesus' fate. And so we can glean a little bit from those Gospels. But we're also very, very privileged to know about three historians who lived around that time who recorded many things that took place. Uh, great historical authors, three ancient writers, Tacitus, Josephus, and Philo. We all have their works, and they've included in detail what they saw and what they heard about Pilate. Tacitus was one of the great Roman historians. Josephus and Philo were both Jews who wrote about this about the same time. All three were alive in the first century when Christianity was just getting started. So much information has been taken uh, from these Gospels and other historical sources. So what we're going to do is we're going to allow Pilate here this morning to speak for himself. If you will allow me to be his voice for just a few moments today. And then we'll look for lessons from this involvement. Pilate speaks. I am Pontius Pilate. And I know that many of you think that I'm to blame for the death of this man Jesus, who has been called the Christ, who was crucified a few years ago. Some people say that I put an innocent man to death, but the case is really not that simple. As far as I could tell, he was innocent of the charges of the chief priests, uh, charges the chief priests and the innocent people brought before him and against him. But there were bigger issues at stake. And it should be noted that I actually tried to save him. I admit, I'm not exactly proud of the way things turned out, but you have to understand the pressures of my job, at the job at that time and what I was going through. I was in a delicate position. Delicate position. Claudia Precola 
is the granddaughter, uh, and she's my wife, and she's the granddaughter of Caesar Augustus. And being that close to the ruling family, I couldn't afford to look like a mess up. Before being sent to the providence of Judea to be the procurator, similar to what you would call a governor, I had a successful career as an officer in the Roman army, in Caesar's army. So I had a good reputation to start with. But as procurator, I faced a different sort of problem. I was responsible to see that the taxes kept rolling into Rome. It was also my job to keep a lid on any troubles in that part of the empire. But being in charge there proved to be no easy task. That Jesus business was just one more Jewish squabble that got dumped in my lap. But in all my career, I've never met a more stubborn people than those residents of Judea. Here's an example. Caesar's legions always carried a standard of currency with uh, Caesar's image on it. So wherever they go, and people are expected then to bow down wherever that standard passes. Well, those Jews have some rule in their religion about not bowing down to any graven image. So they refuse to bow. Now, my uh, predecessor in the procurator's office had set a bad precedent by coddling these people. When he was in charge, he ordered the legions to remove the emperor's image from the poles that the soldiers and the Roman people carried before entering Jerusalem. All he wanted to do was to avoid a confrontation by not offending the populace. But I thought that I had better ideas. I thought the best way to establish myself with these rebellious people was to show them who the boss was right from the start. So what I did is I had my soldiers go out one night and mount Caesar's image prominently on a tower overlooking the Jews' temple. To my surprise, my plan backfired. You should have seen the rage of the people when they woke up the next morning. 7,000 people surrounded my residence, pleading to have the image removed and praying to their God. You know, that didn't scare me, but they stayed for six days and six nights. I thought they would never go away. So I tried to trick them. I agreed to meet with the ringleaders, telling them we would discuss the matter. Meanwhile, I had my legionnaires surround the mob. And then I told the leaders that I would have everyone massacred if they didn't go home. Only that didn't work. Those stubborn fools stood right there and offered me their necks, saying they would rather die than to violate any of their laws. They called my bluff, I guess. I knew Rome would never let me get away with slaughtering that many people. I had to back down and have the image removed. And then there was that messy business about the aqueduct. Jerusalem never had a good supply of water, fresh water, so no one could fault me for wanting to improve the city's water supply. But where to get the money for the project? And then it occurred to me, why not appropriate funds from the temple treasury itself? It was loaded with money, and the Jews would benefit from the new water system as much as anybody else. So that's what I did. But it set off those volatile people again, 
and a riot broke out. So to put a stop to that, I had my soldiers disguise themselves as civilians and mingle into the crowd. And then on my command, they took stabs and began clubbing people, men and women alike. Of course, such actions are in violation of Roman army regulations, but I figured we'd get things under control rather quickly, and Rome would be none the wiser. Unfortunately, when my men attacked, panic set in among the crowd. A great many people were trampled, and they were clubbed to death, and that news could not be kept from Rome. And in the end, I received an official reprimand from the emperor, the emperor Tiberius. Well, it's easy for him to judge me sitting up there in Rome, well away from the real mess here in Judea. And there was one other incident that preceded this Jesus business too. I decided to have my palace redecorated. I mean, come on, a man ought to be able to decorate his home in the way he likes it, I would think, and I think you would agree too. Anyway, I had some shields placed on the outside walls, and these shields bore the image of various gods. But these troublesome people called Jerusalem their holy city, and they said my gods were heathen. They rioted again, and this time Rome ordered me to back down and remove the shields. I got a scathing rebuke from Caesar. So you see, when that trouble with Jesus of Nazareth arose, I couldn't afford another fiasco. That nasty business took place during the week of the feast that the Jews call Passover. Early then on Friday morning, the chief priests brought this Jesus before me, charging him, claiming to be king. They're very clever, these chief priests, you see. Jesus had become very popular among the common people, and I'm sure the priests considered him a danger to their authority. I'm convinced they arrested him out of a desire to rid themselves of the one who challenged their authority and, I am told, their whole understanding of what it meant to worship God. But they didn't say any of that when they brought Jesus before me. Instead, they charged him with claiming to be king. Because if that were true, then he would be breaking Roman law. No one is allowed, no one is allowed to challenge Caesar's authority. These priests came to me saying, if you release this man, you are no friend of the emperor. Everyone who claims to be a king sets himself against the emperor. They also said, we have no king but the emperor. Very clever, these priests. Of course, the whole thing was ridiculous. Jesus was no threat to Caesar. It was laughable to claim that he in any way challenged the emperor's authority. But, after all, the problems I'd already had, after all the problems I already had with the Jews, I had to proceed carefully. The reason they brought Jesus to me in the first place was that although they could try him themselves, they had no, no authority to execute anyone. Only I, as Rome's representative, could issue an execution order. So they came to me saying, he deserves death. 
Of course, I had to question Jesus, but although I found him a most disturbing fellow, I could find no guilt in him. I asked him if he's king of the Jews, and he said, you say so. But he refused to answer any of the charges brought, um, <coughs> excuse me, brought against him by the priests. Finally, Jesus said to me, my kingdom is not from this world. Well, I could see that he had done nothing to deserve death under Roman law, and so I frankly told the priests that, but they wouldn't let the matter drop. I had visions of another riot which I could ill afford, so I wanted to spare Jesus. And then one of the priests, pushing the matter, said, he stirs up the people by teaching all throughout Judea from Galilee, where he began even in this, to this place. Well, when that, pre, when that guy mentioned Galilee, I inquired as if Jesus to see if he was a Galilean. And I was told he was. Well, that gave me an idea. My responsibilities did not extend to Galilee. Herod Antipas was Rome's representative there, and it happened that Herod was in town that very day. So I sent Jesus to Herod. Let Herod deal with him. I thought that would be the end of the matter for me. But it wasn't. Herod examined him and mocked him a little bit, but in the end he sent Jesus back to me. So then I tried something else. I had made it a practice as a gesture of goodwill of releasing from jail one prisoner each Passover. One person the Jews wanted spared. I had in my cells that time this rascal whose name was Barabbas. He was charged with insurrection and murder. Surely, I thought given the choice, the crowd would rather have Jesus released than a scoundrel like Barabbas, so I gave him a choice. But what I hadn't realized is that the priests had their own people in the crowd and demanded the release of Barabbas. So I said, then what shall I do with Jesus? And they cried out, crucify him. Well, frankly now, I was stumped. The man was not guilty under Roman law, but I'd be in trouble with Rome myself if another riot occurred in my, on my watch. So, to make matters worse, my wife sent word to me saying that she had a dream about Jesus and was convinced that he was righteous. She advised me to have nothing to do with him. Well, unfortunately, I didn't have that option. I did, however, have one last card to play. I had Jesus flogged. I had a crown of thorns put on his head. Sure, he didn't deserve that, but I hoped that the beating and the mocking would at least quell the mob's bloodlust. It was a last-ditch effort attempting to save him. It didn't work. Finally, you see, I had no choice. So I called for a basin of water. In the presence of the whole assembly, I washed my hands, saying, I am innocent of this man's blood. See to it yourselves. And the crowd shouted, His blood be on us and on our children. So I gave the order and sent Jesus off to be crucified. Yeah, I know I couldn't actually wash away my guilt, the, uh, my guilt in that, in that Jesus affair as easily as I could just simply wash my hands. I'm not that naive. But it was a way to make clear to the mob that they were just as responsible as I was for the death of that innocent man.
And yeah, my conscience bothers me some, but when you're in a position of authority, sometimes you have to make decisions. And after all, what is one man's life compared to keeping the peace of the whole city? But here is the irony. After going along with what the chief priest demanded, I didn't last a whole lot longer in Judea anyway. My jurisdiction extended to Samaria, and not long after the Jesus affair, a certain imposter summoned the people there to Mount Gerizim, which was the Samaritans considered to be their holy, holy place, claiming he would show them sacred vessels that their ancient prophet Moses had supposedly hidden there. But some of the people showed up armed, which I couldn't allow. I sent my troops on them and things got pretty savage. The Samaritans lodged a complaint with my superior and I was ordered to return to Rome to answer to my conduct. Tiberius died before I arrived, so a trial never took place. But now here I am after all these years of service, shunted and pushed off to the side. Being in charge there in Judea left me with all sorts of things I wished had worked out differently. And they sit heavily on me and some nights I don't sleep very well. But there it is. Now here's a bigger irony. My wife Claudia has taken the teachings of Jesus whom I, consider, whom I crucified to heart. She's been telling me that Jesus talked about forgiveness from God. Wiping out a person's guilt. She says that Jesus taught that anything can be forgiven. She says that I should look into that. Maybe I should. Now may the peace of God, which sometimes uh, eludes our human understanding, keep your hearts and minds for the kind of faith that only Jesus can give moving us from anxiety to rest. Amen. You may remain seated as we sing our next hymn.
The congregation, please stand. Toward the top of page 8, let's um, reaffirm our faith in the words of the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord. He was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate and was buried. He descended into hell. On the third day he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of sins, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Uh, You may be seated. At this time we will gratefully receive your offering.
as we enter this Holy Week. Together let us pray for the church, those in need, and all of God's creation. Let us pray for the church throughout the world, that our sisters and brothers in every land may be renewed in the mystery of Christ's death and resurrection. Hear us, O God. Let us pray for the fragile gift of creation, that our world's many scars and suffering find healing in God's mercy. Hear us, O God. Let us pray for the nations of the world, especially where betrayal and injustice reign, and God's children perish by the sword of violence. Hear us, O God. Let us pray for those in need, for those who are grieved or distressed, lonely or despairing, ill or in pain. Hear our silent and verbal prayers. Hear us, O God. Let us pray for those seeking renewal amid these holy days that we might all be transformed in Christ's love, poured out for the world. Hear us, O God. Let us give thanks for the saints whose faithful witness, even unto death, has given to us the gift of the gospel. Hear us, O God. Into your hands, O God of love, we commend all for whom we pray, Trusting in your mercy, through Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord. Amen. Let's join hands and pray the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. All right. At this time, we will sing our closing hymn.
God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, watch over your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. Go in peace, remember the poor.